Hello, sports fans, and welcome to another edition of Yesterday Sports on the Sports History Network. And make sure to check out sportshistorynetwork.com slash giveaways. I have two signed books I'm giving away. One is titled No Nonsense Old School Weight Training, and the other is Reliving 1970s Old School Football. Welcome to Football is Family, a podcast dedicated to the fan and fan experience. My name is Jeremy McFarland, and I want to look at the positive behind what makes football so enjoyable to watch and follow. I want to know why you are a fan of your team, of a player, or an era of football. Whether the pros, college, or high school, I want to hear and share your stories and your love for the game. If you want to be part of this podcast, please message me on Twitter at Jeremy underscore McFarlane, or on Facebook at the Footballist Family Facebook page. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. I'd like to welcome everybody back to the Footballist Family podcast. Uh, in the next couple of weeks, we're going to hopefully have a couple of uh, guests, one per week, we're working on that, but today I want to share with you a memory of mine. Now, if you followed my podcast for a while or you've heard me on Arnie's uh, Football History Dude podcast, uh, you know that I'm kind of, well, I bleed two-tone blue. You know, when people deal with sports, they say, I bleed a certain team color. Well, mine is, you know, two-tone blue. It's the Titan blue. If you were to come to my office, you'll see – I've got my Eddie George autographed jersey on the wall. I've got, I've got over in the corner. I have well, an Eddie George autographed Madden two thousand one. I have my picture of uh, Frank Wycheck in me. I have over here Ryan Tannehill. I've got several things up on my wall. But one of the things that I have a few years ago in the NFL.com came out with that if you buy that you will get a free picture. Just what they wanted you to do is to upgrade the picture to something bigger, but you get a free picture. So I clicked on the Titans link, and they had one of Nissan Stadium. And I thought, well, that's pretty cool. I like that. But then they had one of the Music City Miracle. And I'm looking at it right now, and it's Kevin Dyson looking over and watching his teammates run right next to him as he's running toward the end zone. And I said, that's the one I want. And when I got it, I showed my wife, and she, uh, she rolled her eyes. She said, really? Music City Miracle. I said, yeah. I found uh, a book that had Mike, it had a disc that came with it. that had Mike Keith and talking about the Music City Miracle. And he they, they did that, uh, that great radio call that he did on January the 8th, 2000, where he, he, there's no flags on the field. It's a miracle. And and I tell people that my son, when he was two or three years old, I had him saying, it's a miracle. There's no flags on the field. I feel so proud of myself as a father for that happening. I just, I, I did, I've done my job. Now I'm working on them to, to sing Dave Matthew band songs and, and to know how to eat an Oreo. And that's, that's my extent of my fatherhood. That's all I'm going to be able to do, I guess, but I've done my job. But see, I, I know where I was on January the 8th, 2000, 
just like you know where you were on some major life events. I know where I was when two of my kids were born. The third one, uh, Harmony, uh, she's adopted, so I don't exactly know where I was on April the 15th of that year, uh, but I know where I was on September 11th. I know exactly where I was. And on January 8, 2000, I know exactly where I was. I was in Dixon, Tennessee. I was at a a lady was, I was at a, birth, a birthday. She was turning, I think, 92 or 93. And over in the corner of the birthday party, there were guys talking and I went to follow them and they were watching the playoff game. So I sat there and watched and all I could see was Titans are going to lose this game. They're going to lose this game. And well, we're going to talk about that today. We're going to talk about that today. We're going to talk about the Music City Miracle. And we're going to look at some of the events that led up to it. And we're going to look at some controversy. We're going to look at a little bit of a controversy. This is the Music City Miracle is really the bow on top of the first season of Nissan Stadium. At that time, it was uh, it was the Coliseum. Uh, the Titans had gone 13 to three that year. 13 and three. They hadn't lost a game in Nissan Stadium. I'm going to call it Nissan Stadium because that's what it is. I remember driving by uh, Nashville, got hit by a tornado a year or so before, and it really set back the building of Nissan Stadium. And I remember driving by it after I got home from school for, the, for that weekend. I went up there and drove by it. And I saw windows smashed everywhere. It was it was bad. Nashville got brutalized. And we're wondering, is the stadium going to be built? Of course, we were glad that no one, we were glad about the amount of people not getting hurt as bad as it could have been. But then we started thinking, was the stadium going to get built? Well, when it got built, uh, the Titans had already moved from Houston to Memphis. They were the Tennessee Oilers at the time. After they moved to Memphis, they realized Memphis doesn't want the, the Oilers. They want their own team. And Memphis deserved a team, to be honest. Uh, so Bud Adams said, well, what we're going to do is we're going to go to Vanderbilt. We're going to go to Vanderbilt Stadium, the smallest football stadium in the SEC, and that doesn't allow alcohol sales, uh, and we're going to try to play there. Well, finally, Nissan Stadium gets built, and the Titans go in there, and they just dominate that year. This is a, It was the perfect storm. You get the first year being the Tennessee Titans there at Nissan Stadium. You get Eddie George and Steve McNair and Javon Curse, one of my all-time favorites, Javon Curse, uh, Frank Wycheck. You get all these guys coming together to, to make a team that was on a mission. They win, they win their division, which was the central division at the time. And they get they go in and they get the first round, or they get a ASC wild card game against the Buffalo Bills. January 8th. Now, the thing is, the Buffalo Bills, um, just basically a a team that knows what it's like to have victories just taken from them. They should have won that first Super Bowl against the Giants. And to me, if they had won the first Super Bowl, they probably would have won at least one more Super Bowl, probably the the first one against the, uh, the Cowboys. Well, the Bills really had a problem, though. See, that year, and I remember watching them, they had a quarterback controversy. 
and if if you've heard me talk before, Doug Flutie is one of my all time favorite guys. Just a just a decent guy, good guy, and a pretty good quarterback. He's just small. Well, they had a guy basically Robo Rob Johnson. Rob Johnson was this prototypical uh, late nineties quarterback. He had the the hair. I, I'm I'm I envy the hair. I really do. If a guy's got a good head of hair, I respect the hair game. He just looked like he was a quarterback. But the problem was, um, he may look it, but he really wasn't a quarterback. In fact, he was just just the guy, kind of guy where he had the arm strength, but if he had the desire and if he had the brains and the ability of Doug Flutie, Rob Johnson would have been a great quarterback. Wade Phillips, the coach for the Bills, wanted to start Doug Flutie, but the front office basically said, you're going to start Rob Johnson. That's fine. We start Rob Johnson. The first quarter of that game, it was uh, pretty much a scoreless first quarter. Now, this is something that you'll find early on in the Titans run here in Nashville. Uh, Jeff Fisher built the team around one man, and that's Eddie George. And that's fine to me. Eddie George uh, deserves to be in the Hall of Fame, and I believe he will one day. He had the the length of, of time, and he had the, the stats. Uh, I think, you know, when you look at him, you put him in the same area as Ken Anderson and Ken Riley. All three of those guys deserve to be in the Hall of Fame. But you'll find that the Titans built their team, especially in this era, with running and defense. That's why with Samari Roll and people like that, uh, Blaine Bishop, one of my favorite all-time player, uh, players, Blaine Bishop. I uh, got to meet him, a good guy, too. Um, Blaine Bishop, all these guys, Javon Curse again, Keith Bullock later on. These are some of the great names that really don't get a lot of attention because they're in a smaller market. These guys may not be superstars, but together – they made a team that was hard to score against and hard to stop when Eddie George got rolling. Now, later on, you look in the year 2002, 3, 4, Steve McNair lived up to his name, Air McNair, and that's when Derek Mason started doing some amazing things. But at this point, it's a lot of ball control and movement with Eddie George. The first game, the first quarter of this game started out with no score. The scoring, though, started when the freak, Javon Curse, sacked Rob Johnson in the end zone. Two points. You get it. You, you get a you get a safety there. You also get a free kick. This is when the Titans started to roll. Steve McNair ran a bootleg five yards to the right for a touchdown. They were up nine nothing. Now Steve McNair had uh, Steve McNair. It was hurt a lot. The offensive line didn't do him a whole lot of favor in a lot of ways. But what happened, though, is Steve McNair would try to extend plays. Uh, he was such a tough guy. The thing that makes Steve McNair so dangerous is he was so mobile, but he also looked downfield. This is one thing that you'll find with somebody like Johnny Menzel that that he would look at his first read. Rich, uh, Rick Meyer did this too. He would look at that first read, and if he couldn't find somebody, he would run. 
Steve would look at his first, second, third read, and if it's not available, then he would go. But he's always looking downfield in order to make sure that his first priority was to pass the ball. Steve McNair ran the ball in this case, up 9-0. Aldo Greco then hit a 40-yard field goal for the Titans to be up 12-0 at halftime. Aldo Greco is one of those guys that is overlooked, but he was a linchpin for the Titans for several years. Now, overlooked, for, uh, I have to just gloss over the fact that he was an Auburn Tiger, but, you know, that's that's okay. That's okay. The Titans now look like they're going to roll, but the problem comes is that the Bills came alive. The Bills only managed 64 yards at the first quarter or first half. 64 yards in a playoff game. That's not a lot. In fact, that's one of those things that you look at and said, we got to do better. Their first drive, the second half, 62 yards. 62 yards. They score a touchdown to go to, to get the game closer, 12 to 7. Antoine Smith. The Titans now start to struggle. Defensive end Bruce Smith starts to get pressure on Steve McNair. And Eddie George is kept in check. Now, for those of you who are younger who don't know who Bruce Smith is, uh, if you look at the records, Bruce Smith is up there on the sack record, pressure records. Bruce Smith is probably one of the best outside or the best defensive ends in history. Him and Reggie White really are in the league of, uh, on their own. J.J. Uh, Watt could only wish to be Bruce Smith. Let me just say that. Bruce Smith at this point was getting a little bit older, but he still had a whole lot of gas left in the tank. Later on, he would go off to Washington, which I still don't like the idea of seeing him as anything but a bill. But Bruce Smith really started to put the team on his shoulders and the offense respond. Not only did they respond, but they kept the pressure on the Titans. Again, the Titans are built to run the ball. They're not built to pass the ball. They're built to run the ball. So if you can keep Eddie George contained, and if you can keep Steve McNair in the pocket where he can't beat you with his legs, one of the things that you're going to find is that their offense, the Titans' offense, is going to start to fall apart. The Bills scored again in the fourth quarter to make it 13-12. to 12. They went for a two-point conversion, and that failed. At this time, the Titans once again kind of gave up the ghost with the offense. The Bills hit a field goal with 30, a 36-yard field goal with 15-13, and the score being 15-13, with only one minute and 48 seconds left to play. The Bills are winning. See, what happened was you don't ever give up. You don't ever give up. The Bills never gave up with this. So you're now seeing a game start to turn simply because the Titans couldn't get their offense going and the Bills didn't give up. On the ensuing drive with no timeouts remaining, after the Titans, let me back up here. The Titans are up 15-13, I should say. Excuse me. Elder Greco kicked the field goal. And the ensuing drive with no timeouts left, Rob Johnson led the Bills on a five-play 37-yard drive to the Titans 24. 
the Bills with 16 seconds left kick a field goal. So now you have the score 16 to 15. Bills didn't give up. So what do you do? You have a score of 16-15. You're in the first playoff game as the Tennessee Titans. You're at your home. You know that the next games that you're going to go to are not going to be at home. You're going to have to win here, and you're going to have to win big. You're going to have to do something drastic to win this game. When you play Madden and you're down like this, the first thing that you try to do is start to get as many yards as possible through the air. You think a Hail Mary. Well, the Titans did have some good offensive uh, weapons on the corners, but they weren't built to go downfield. In fact, they were built as a more of a dink and dunk team with Frank Wycheck going over the middle. And by the way, an over overlooked wide, or tight end, Frank Wycheck. Keep that in mind. But you're looking at, we've got to do something. We have to do something drastic. So what do you do? One of the neat things about seeing the Titans as long as I, as I have is that you not only get to know the offensive names and the defensive names, but you get to know a little bit about the special teams. Coach Landry, or Lowry, I should say, Coach Lowry for the Titans, longtime special teams coach, came up to Jeff Fisher and said, we need to do something drastic. Let's do the home run throwback. Let's do the home run throwback. They had practiced for weeks at this, basically it's called a home run throwback, where one person gets the ball, basically moves over to the other side of the field, and then throws the ball behind them to a, to a lateral to the person on the opposite end of the field, and they run on into the end zone. That's the goal, to draw the defense toward one person and have that other person get the ball with a clean area to run. That's the goal. It's something that you would draw up on the ground if you're playing outside on a Saturday afternoon. It's something like that. When Jeff Fisher would say, let's play this, many people would say, hey, we're never going to use this. We're never going to use this. And even if we have to use this, no one's ever going to buy it. Well, I want to read something to you from the Tennessee Titans celebrating 10 years, the Tennessean, a special commemorative issue it's a, it's a neat book, but I want to read something to you about the situation that came up before the home run throwback was called. Derek Mason would be one of the deep men. Derek Mason would later on become one of the most uh, feared kickoff returns, uh, punt return, and receivers in the league for several years. The Titans have never once used a home run throwback in a game situation. Let's face it, you really can't use it more than once. But this was a good, as good a time as any. The play called for whoever received the ball to get it to Frank Wycheck, who was lined up on the second man on the, on the right in an alignment that had five players up front, four in the middle, two deep men. The right-handed tight end then was to take a couple of steps forward as though he would return the ball, turn, and throw all the way across the field to waiting Derek Mason, one of the deep men. If it worked correctly, Derek Mason would have the catch and a wall of blockers. The problem came that there was no Derek Mason. Derek Mason had a concussion. He was out. Oh. So the person who also pre uh, practices, Anthony Dorsett, 
he should return. He should return the ball. No, he was cramping. So they said, Kevin Dyson. Kevin Dyson, great receiver, in my opinion. Dyson, you need to do this. Dice, you need to do this, is what Jeff Fisher said. Kevin Dyson said, I've never practiced this, and I wasn't paying any attention in practice. They basically said, just catch the ball and run. So when you look at the kick, they really, uh, Steve Christie would kick the ball short. Basically, you want to get, they, the Bills wanted to make sure that no one could set up a return, and they wanted to stop the ball as fast as possible. So they kicked. Lorenzo Neal, who was a fullback, a beast of a fullback, gets the ball. He basically goes up and hands it to Frank Wycheck. Wycheck moves a couple steps around and then throws it back across his field, not in front, but behind him, to Kevin Dyson, who basically picks the ball up off the, uh, almost off the ground. And he runs. And he runs on the left sideline. Now, what was neat about this is a few years later, my son, he, my son is not a football fan, didn't, doesn't really care about it, but I signed him up for the Tennessee Titans Children's Club. Uh, he got things, but then I got to do something. We got to go on, on the field to meet some players and to meet some of the uh, alumnus or the alumni of the Titans. And I told my wife, I said, Katie, I'm going to go and run the Music City Miracle. She said, you're going to do what? I'm going to run the Music City Miracle. So I ran the same route that Kevin Dyson did. And I cheered when I made it to the end zone. Uh, She rolled her eyes at me, but I think all the dads there understood exactly what I was doing. They understood exactly what I was doing. Well, he ran it back in and scored a touchdown. The problem came when Phil Luckett, who had his own issues later on in life, had to decide if this was a lateral or not. And he looked, looked at that play and looked at that play and looked at that play and said it was a lateral. Touchdown stands. The Titans went on to win that game, beat the Colts, and beat the Jaguars, and then come one yard short in the Super Bowl against the Rams. The last play, Kevin Dyson being tackled by Mike Jones, one yard short of the end zone. The Music City Miracle. And what's neat about this as well, a few years ago, I had a friend of mine who was going to meet with Kevin Dyson And I would love to meet with Kevin Dyson. And he says, is there anything that you want signed? And I handed him a a card. And I have it up in my office right now. I handed him a card that was the Music City Miracle. It had Kevin Dyson looking back. And they had somebody who drew Kevin Dyson looking back and got a big smile on his face as he's running. And Kevin Dyson signed it and said, Music City Miracle at the bottom. Now, Like I said, on my phone right now, I have Mike Keith. I have his call, and I listened to at least three or four times today just to remind myself of some good times. And when I'm feeling bad about the Titans, I listen to that. Yeah, it's pretty sad. I get that. But it's it's one of those moments. You know, the the Steelers has the immaculate reception. Uh, The the Raiders have the sea of hands. 
uh, the uh, the Patriots have Deflategate. The Titans have the Music City Miracle. That's that's special to me. That's what makes football family. And I want to thank y'all for listening. Uh, I will see you back next week. At the Sports History Network, we're all about sports yesteryear. And so we're pleased to introduce to you our new sponsor, Row One, an online memorabilia gallery and shop that brings sports history to life anywhere. The Row One Gallery includes over 5,200 gorgeously reproduced prints of team posters, game program covers, game tickets, advertisements, and more in baseball, pro and college football, pro and college basketball, and more. And any gallery item may be printed in various sizes on wood, metal, canvas, acrylic, or poster paper. You can even save 15% on your order at Row One Art Gallery with the coupon code SHN15. And in the Row One shop, check out thousands more unique items with retro and historical designs dating back to 1876, including t-shirts with long and long sleeve t-shirts, phone cases, mugs, blankets, pillows, towels, and even shower curtains. Row One Gallery. Don't forget the code SHN15. Hey there, Sports History fan. This is Arnie Chapman, a.k.a. the Football History Dude, and I wanted to thank you for stopping by to listen to another episode here on the Sports History Network. Our podcasters are passionate about uncovering and sharing sports stories from yesteryear. And if you didn't know it already, we have over 30 shows across the network covering all sorts of sports history topics. In fact, here's a glimpse into one of our awesome podcasts here on the network. Join George Bozica, the president of the PFRA, and myself, John Bozica, each month for the Professional Football Researchers Association official podcast. We'll discuss the history of the game, the many names of the game, and so many different things for you, making the history of football not only entertaining, but fun at the same time, as we join you on the Sports History Network on the official PFRA podcast. How about that? I bet you're super hyped to go listen to that new podcast, right? Well, to learn about this show and all the other podcasts on the network, head over to sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Again, that's sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Head over there today to find your next favorite sports history podcast.